Hey y'all, welcome to RUF. I'm Simon Stokes. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you at some point. I'm the campus minister here. And I just want to say it's really good uh, to see y'all, um, to worship with you, to take part in uh, our large group experience. And I just want to kind of go ahead and put my own plug in for what's happening with fresh groups and community groups. Uh, that I, I love large group, like this time right here with the prayer and the singing and time to open up God's Word together and see each other. I think this is an amazing good part of our community, but I want to say that one of the best part of, parts of REF's community, kind of the, the backbone of REF in a lot of ways, is through community groups and freshman groups. Uh, there's a Bible study component there, but that these are places where we can really dive into knowing one another, developing really deep, good friendships together, and where we can kind of get to know one another and get to know Jesus together too. Uh, this is a place for people... We talk about being a place for the tired, the skeptical, and the committed. Like Community groups and fresh groups are for that too. And so I just want to put in a plug for that. If you like RUF, but you're not doing that yet, like that's a really, really great part of our community and a really great way to get to know people in this room who are amazing. I think the leaders are great. The people who go to those things are great. Um, I think what we study in that is really, really powerful and good. I think it could be a good part of God's work in your life to go to it as well. So I just want to put a plug in for that also. I also want to say uh, that this week we're changing back to the order of service. That one of the fun things about college is you can try new routines and then go back to the old routines. And so that's what we're doing. Um, we're also, uh, this semester we're going through the Psalms, which if you don't know anything about it, it's totally fine. It's in the Old Testament, uh, the first uh, major section of the Bible. And basically it's God's prayer book for his people. There's 150 psalms, so we won't do all of them, obviously, but we'll do uh, a couple um, throughout this semester, and we'll look at them and see how does it apply for us uh, here at Carolina living out life together. So tonight we're looking at Psalm 8, um, a psalm of, I think, David, and talking a lot about what does it mean uh, that God has made us and put us in this world. So this is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray for us and get started. Lord Jesus, uh, your name is majestic and it's beautiful in the world. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to see how beautiful and good and true you are tonight. God, that however we come in tonight, um, whether we're full on friendship and just feel so glad to be here and sit with these people, or whether we just feel completely depleted and lonely and alone. God, all of us, wherever we come from in terms of relationships, we need you. Um, we're empty apart from you. Jesus, be bread for us as we journey through life. Be life for the dead. God, be light for the blind. Jesus, be with us tonight in your power and your presence. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever read something that felt like it was hitting maybe a little too close to home? Like, oh, like Goodwin 
like get out of my head. Uh, I had an experience a little while ago. I was reading uh, a guy's book named William Dershowitz. He's a former Yale professor. He wrote a book called Excellent Sheep, which is this kind of stunning deep dive into the mindset of modern kind of top college uh, students. And that was certainly my mindset when I was in college. I went to a small private liberal arts school in Atlanta and lots of very high achievers there. And you know, I've met a few of them here at Carolina every now and again. Uh, <laughs> but he, he's in this book, he's citing all these statistics about college, uh, about how mental health services are totally overwhelmed right now. Lots of people are on meds. Um, that in a place and a time of life, people should be happiest because they've achieved the most and have maybe the most to look forward to. Um, that a lot of people are the least happy. And he's trying to put his finger on what that is. And this is one of the things that he says. There's a quick excerpt from him. He says, the compulsive overachievement of today's elite college students, the sense that they need to keep running as fast as they can, is not the only thing that keeps them from forming the deeper relationships that might relieve their anguish. So people are going really, really quick, and it's hard for them to make relationships, but there's something else to it. Something more insidious is operating too. A resistance to vulnerability. A fear of looking like the only one who isn't capable of handling the pressure. These are young people who have always succeeded at everything, in part projecting the confidence they always will. Now as they get to college, the stakes are higher and the competition fiercer. Everybody thinks they're the only one who's suffering, so nobody says anything, so everybody suffers. Everyone feels like a fraud. Everyone thinks that everybody else is smarter than they are. Now that's not everybody, right? This guy came out of Yale. Um, that's a different school than UNC. But that, I mean... I think that's some of us, right? Okay, Dershowitz, stop reading my mind, right? You can read that and you think, okay, is that an issue of time management? Is that an issue of kind of a work-life balance? Is that a pressure kind of coming from below? I think about that and I wonder, is it not an issue of image? Is it an image issue? That so much of our problem is that we're afraid we're going to look bad and that we're going to appear as failures. And that below that problem is that we're afraid that there's this kind of deep uncertainty that we don't really know who we are. Because if we knew who that person was, then we could say, no to this thing over here, yes to this over thing over here, we wouldn't be as stressed about stuff, right? Like if we knew who we were, then we wouldn't be worried about our image so much. Like you wouldn't post something on Instagram and be crushed when not everyone told you like how beautiful you were or you got a million likes from it, Right? And it really raises the question of who are we? Like, who are we beyond our thoughts and our feelings that we kind of randomly have through the day? Like, what's below that? What's the soil that you are growing out of? All of us are wrestling with that question. So much of college is trying to figure out, who am I? Who am I? And that's a struggle for everyone. And what I want to suggest to you tonight as we look at this psalm is that deeper than the question of who am I is the question of what am I? what am I? What am I? When we look at Psalm 8 tonight, what I want to suggest to you is that God's image is stamped on you. That you are an image bearer of God. And that image is stamped on you like George Washington's face is stamped on a quarter. In the same way that Washington's face makes a quarter, quarter, God's image makes you a person. It's what gives you ultimate value and worth. It's why it's so bad when we kind of mistreat one another and forget about each other. And it's why it's so great when we are kind to each other and recognize God's image in one another. Because we're loving and honoring the God who stamped that image onto the person across from us. 
And so tonight, I just want to look through this psalm and ask, what does it mean that we're made in God's image, and what does God do with that? What does it mean that we're made in God's image, and what does God do with that? So again, let's take a step back here and look at what David's doing at the start here with this psalm. He's looking up at the night sky. Have you ever kind of been camping with your friends, and you've kind of been stargazing late at night and looking up, and you see all... All the beauty of the heavens above you. Like, I'm looking at the sun and the moon and the stars. And God, I'm looking at the work of your fingers and I'm blown away. Have you ever had an experience you're kind of hanging out with your friends doing that? Where you look up and see the crystal clear stars shining like jewels in the sky and you think how far away they are. How distant they are. How vast the universe is. So big that the biggest thing on earth is just insignificantly tiny compared to it. David is having that same experience and he's saying, God, I'm blown away by your work. And it's not that you're so remote, it's that you're so detailed. That God, you made all these hundreds of millions of galaxies. And every galaxy has billions of stars. And many of those stars have planets which have oceans and mountains and canyons and who knows what else around them. God, you're king of heaven and earth. You're vast and huge and detailed. And he's looking at the sky thinking of this, looking at these stars. And then he looks down at his buddies. And he says, and who are we? Like, who are you and I that God has made all this stuff? And out of all these things, he's placed his image upon us. And you've given us control over the work of your hands. That the things that you and I say and do really matter. That we're in charge of the earth in a lot of ways. You put these things under our feet. The beauty of what the psalm is saying is that you're made in God's image. The image of this spiritual God who both creates and rules over the world. He's put that on you. That to be made in God's image means that you were made to show something of God's beauty, power, righteousness, wisdom, love to the rest of the world. That the glory and honor that God intended you to have was that you would be this intersection of soul and body, of heaven and earth. And that God's character and glory would shine through you into the rest of the world. Do you love nature? Do you love the mountains and the stars and the deep dark woods? Are you an animal person? Do you love dogs and horses? Does it break your heart when you hear about the next environmental catastrophe? Do you like to write or draw? Do you want to make something and do something? Of course you do. Of course that's who you were. You're made in the image of God. You were made to make stuff and rule a tiny piece of creation. Even if it's just a five by five dorm room in Craig, you were made to put your stamp on that, right? Like You've got your MJ poster. You've got your beat up furniture you found on the side of the road. Like You were made to put your stamp on that, right? Um, because that's part of God's, God's stamp on you. All right, why else is this important? Think about, just kind of putting my professor hat for a second. Think about the issue of human rights. Like, who's got rights? Who doesn't have rights? Where do those rights end? Where do mine begin? That's a huge issue for our society right now, right? Like, why is that? Look, if everyone is made in the image of God, then everyone has intrinsic worth and dignity. Whether or not they can contribute something to the world. Whether or not they're just like you or me. Because everybody's made in God's image, right? The rights matter because they're given to us by God. And without someone above us underwriting our common dignity, everything becomes this kind of power play where the people in power become the ones who say who counts and who doesn't, who has rights and who doesn't have rights. Look, if someone's value only lies in what they can know 
or they can do? What happens to people who are born without the ability to know or do things? Like People are mentally or physically handicapped in significant ways. Like, do you see the problem? Like Someone has to be underwriting your rights, and someone has to be giving those things from above. And the founding fathers saw this, right? Like, this is why the Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Founding Fathers had problems with that. They weren't always consistent with it. But they wrote that in because they knew that unless someone above us was giving us our rights, upholding our dignity and our value, people could take it away. It's a huge issue for us. Okay, I know that's a lot, but keep it in mind next time you're in a poli-sci class. All right. (laughs) You can also read this and you can say, okay, like, dang, People are awesome, right? Like, this has got a really high view of people. But then you leave Murphy and you look around and you can say, okay, people don't always act awesome. Like, people break up with you. People hurt you. People betray you. People get divorced. This psalm is showing us what we were made to be. It's saying this really high ideal, but it's not showing us exactly what we are now. Psalm 8 is the place to start with understanding what people are. They're made in God's image, but it doesn't tell the whole story. You've got to look at the rest of the Bible and say, what does the rest of Scripture say about this? And Scripture says that people are made in the image of God and that image is broken by sin. It's both those things at the same time. Are people bad or people good? Yes. Right? Think about it kind of like smartphones. Are smartphones bad or are they good? Uh, Is it good that smartphones have a map feature and let you take pictures and have all these cool apps? Yes, that's great, right? Uh, is it bad that smartphones completely take over our lives and become the main way we talk to each other and when they aren't glued to our hands we feel completely naked? Like, yes. <laughs> are smartphones bad or are they good? Yes. <laughs> are people bad or are they good? Yes. Like, we're this mixed bag. It's why when you date somebody you feel that so strongly. Like when you, I see this in your faces all the time. You start to date someone, and it's like, they're incredible. They're amazing. All we want to do is hang out together. It's amazing. They're insane. Because because when you start to date someone, you're hanging out with this person, and you've doubled up on the amount of dignity in your life, the amount of glory in your life, because you've doubled up on the amount of someone bearing God's image in your life in this really significant way. But then, like, two weeks later, we talk about it, and it's like, ugh. They ripped my heart out. (laughs) They were so harsh. (laughs) So mean. And not only did you double up on the amount of dignity, but you also doubled up on the amount of depravity too. Because we're made in God's image. And yet that image is also broken by sin. Sometimes we don't recognize the image of God in one another. Like whatever your take is on the recent protest... On campus, part of what can make them so ugly is you've got these groups of people who are in the same place and they're not recognizing God's image in one another. They're not dignifying each other. They're shouting each other and shouting God's image down and it looks really ugly and really painful. That's not just what's going on outside of us, but we do that to ourselves too, don't we? Like we are made in the image of God, which means that we are not God, but we're like God or resemble God in some way. And we can say, okay, I, I kind of understand that. It's weird and kind of metaphysical, but I get it. But I'm not God, but I'm going to work like God. And God works all the time. 
and I'm going to work all the time. I'm never going to stop. And then we wear ourselves out because we break out of what we're created to be. Or, you know, it's good to do praiseworthy things and be praised for that. But then when we don't get praised all the time and we think to ourselves, well, I should be praised all the time. Are we not taking the place of God in that? That only God should be praised all the time. And that's when the image is trying to become more than what it actually is. Look, your joy is not in becoming God. Your joy is in knowing God. And your joy is in reflecting God, showing something of God's character and goodness to the world. And the reality this psalm is pointing us to is that people are made in the image of God. And when we've tried to be, to be like God, we broke that image. And so God restores that image by bringing us not up to Him, but by coming down to us. The New Testament book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, right? So huge, radiance of God. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Huge, right? After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Really huge, right? And then what's the next thing that Hebrews says about Jesus? It quotes Psalm 8. You made Him a little bit lower than the angels. That Jesus does all these things that only God can do, but He does them as a man, Why is that? Because God came down to restore the image that was broken in us. That Jesus is fully God, and so He shows us what God is like. But He's also fully human, and so He shows us ideally what humanity is like. That we were supposed to be this bridge between spirit and matter, but the bridge got broken. We're supposed to create and rule in a way that resembles God's creation and rule, but instead we get ruled by our creations. We idolize work and money and pleasure. And when we do, we feel lost and hopeless. We go hiking and we want to feel connected to nature and safe in it, but we're not because nature would eat you if it could, right? (laughs) The world is not as it should be and we know it. So what does God do? He becomes a human being to restore the world, to restore us. He becomes a human being who perfectly, shiningly shows us what it is to be God and what it is to be a person. And... One of the beautiful things about that is because Jesus makes us right with God and restores that image that we and we can't do that. That because He does that, it actually gives us a lot of freedom here. That because we can't justify ourselves and God justifies us, that we can use our time here at Carolina to just love people and not have to prove ourselves, not to live in a pressure cooker, not to go, go, go all the time. That your significance and the most significant thing that will ever happen to you has already happened to you on the cross. And so you don't have to prove yourself. Look, when you don't have to work for people's approval or for God's approval, then you're free to just be who you are with all your weirdness and your quirks and your mess. And that's actually the place where you get the best friendships and the deepest, realest relationships. Because it's the place where you can most let people see God's image in you. And where you can best see God's image in them. It's kind of like this, like, okay, what if somewhere, somehow, you found this lost kind of Renaissance painting, like, in the attic somewhere, and it's incredible, it kind of makes sense of all of your life, it's this beautiful piece of art, you see it, you treasure it, and when the media fanfare dies away, and the news reporters go, and the art historians leave, and they've taken their pictures and put it in the next textbook, you're left with this really cool painting, and you're like, well, I can't put it up in my dorm in Craig, like, someone's going to stay up and, like, spill something on it when they're watching Netflix, right? Like, that's not going to work. 
Uh, and my house back home, like, it doesn't work in the kitchen. It messes up the feng shui in the living room. <laughs> I think I said that right. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work. So what do you do with this amazing thing? Like, you've got to build something around it that reflects how glorious this painting is, right? Like, so you build, like, a beautiful marble staircase. You build an incredible fountain that kind of leads people up to it. You've got these nice chairs that kind of face this painting. You put this huge velvet curtain up there so you can, like, pull it away and people can kind of gasp when they see it for the first time. Right? Like, you build this thing around this image, around this painting, that reflects how good and glorious it is. Because it's amazing. The place where you don't have to perform... The place where you find the grace of God, where the image for you of God is restored through Jesus. Like, that's the place where you build your life. That's the place where you reorientate things. Where you don't have to work to prove yourself, but you're free to actually say, This is amazing, and I'm free to live an amazing way in response to this. Look, this is also the place where you're free to like do stuff. That has no value other than the fact that they're fun and awesome. Like, probably, likely as not, no one here is going to grow up to be a professional athlete, right? (laughs) But you all should all do intramurals for no other reason than they're fun. Because it's fun to watch your friend play inner tube water polo and look like a fool, right? (laughs) You're probably not going to be 50 and support yourself on poetry or because you took a great books class. But you should take those things and follow those interests because they're good in themselves. Those things aren't here because you're going to make a lot of money out of them. Those things are here because they're fun and they're good and it's right. That you would take pleasure in them for no other reason than they're pleasurable. Because here's the deal. When you're doing these things and enjoying them for no other reason than they're they're enjoyable, you're getting a sense of God's joy in creating and making the world. Like why did God make the duck-billed platypus? Like, why did he make this insane animal? It's a mammal with a duck's bill, web feet, lays eggs. I didn't know this, so I looked at it on Wikipedia, but it has a poison bite. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> it's this totally insane creature, right? Like, it's not purifying the air. It's not majestic. It serves no other discernible purpose than being just 100% pure awesome. Like, why did God make that animal? Because he enjoyed it and thought it'd be crazy, right? Like, <laughs> why did God put rings around Saturn? Because they're pretty, and he likes it. Why did God make so many different races and cultures? Because it was his joy to do so. Look, God made the world not because he was lonely, but because it was his pleasure to make the world. He made it because he enjoyed making it. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And you know what? We want that to be your business too. That the God of joy made heaven and earth and he made you to enjoy him and his works forever. And when you're here at Carolina making friends and doing good work within reasonable limits and doing things that are just fun, it's like you're taking the image of God that's been stamped on you and you're polishing it. You're scrubbing it so that it shines. And as you do that, you're going to find joy. Look, I know this is cheesy, but quick poll of hands here. Who feels like they've made a friend since they got to Carolina? Right? Who here feels like they've been able to be a friend since they got to Carolina? That's wonderful. 
Like, keep making friends and keep looking for the image of God in one another. And as you do that, I think you're going to find something that's amazing but true. That there are no boring people. There are only people in whom you haven't yet discovered what's interesting about them. There are no ugly people. There are only people in whom you're looking to see the beauty of God's image. There are no worthless people. There are no worthless people. There are only people who are worth dignifying with a hug and a walk to the dining hall and maybe a cookout run on the weekend. Look, love the image of God in the people around you. Because God has stamped this thing on us. And know that even when you don't feel like it, that God's image is stamped on you too. That that's an unalienable thing that cannot be taken away. That you bear dignity and honor because you are made in God's image. And so I want to start to close with this. Look here at verse 2. That out of the mouth of babes and infants you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That's a weird piece of Hebrew poetry, isn't it? Like, what's that about? That's God saying, do you see the strong? Do you see the oppressor? Do you see the injustice that people do? Do you see the harm they do to the poor and the powerless when they try to crush the image of God in them? They try to erase the image of God in themselves? You see that? I'm one day going to silence that. And when I silence it, it's going to be so counterintuitive to you that it's going to be like a tiny baby stopped a bloodthirsty tyrant. It's a ridiculous image, isn't it? I mean, it's poetry. Poetry does that kind of stuff. But it's not just poetry. It's prophecy. Because when it comes to pass, how does it come? This poor, tiny peasant man, who's God's image restored in humanity, cast out by his people, crucified by an oppressive government, buried in a borrowed grave, and yet his last words are, It is finished. He speaks, and he has a better word for you than you have for yourself. Because he's not just talking to God when he says it's finished, he's talking to you. He's saying all the evil, all the hurt, all the harm, all the sin that you feel, it feels like it crushes the dignity out of you, the abuse, the injustice, those unseen and yet shed tears. Like, I'm going to finish that. I'm going to wipe that away. Jesus is God's image. It's like He was three-dimensional and became two-dimensional to be with us. And when He does, He's crushed for it. And yet when God raises Him from the dead, He restores that image. And He doesn't just make us whole through Jesus. He makes us new. He gives us back the image of God in ourselves through Christ. And He promises to restore that in us. To take away the hurt and the pain and the tears. The things that feel like it strips away our dignity. And to give us back ourselves in Him. And that's our offer to you in the Gospel tonight. To find yourself in the image of God. In your name, let's pray. Um, Father, we do pray in your name. God, that you would call us to yourself. Lord, that you would give us a new and better name than the ones that we sometimes call ourselves. Ugly, stupid, not worth it. But God, that you would call us beloved. You call us son or daughter. Lord, you would call us beautiful and valuable. Because you've been crushed. 
And you've restored our dignity and our worth by bearing our image and making us new. Help us to believe that, to walk in love in that, and to share that with one another. In your name we pray. Amen. We all stand.